Thank you, David, for that warm, kind introduction. And I uh, just want to say good morning to everybody. Glad to be here. Appreciate the opportunity. Uh, thank you to Gino and Shannon for the trust that you have in me and opening up the pulpit. It's a big risk today. But uh, for those who may not know our story, let me take just a moment. And back in 1978, before some of you were born, um, my wife Tina and I helped my sister Diane Lehman and her husband Happy start what we called at that time the Good News Evangelistic Association and Teaching Center because we were going to win the world for Jesus. We later changed the name to Good News Center. It was just an independent church in Urbana. And we affiliated with the Vineyard Movement in 1982, changed our name and became the Vineyard Church of Champaign-Urbana. We both served on the staff there. As uh, David said, I was the executive pastor. My wife directed the nursery and was the finance team director for 30 years until we heard the Lord's invitation in 2009 to leave everything that we'd grown to love and cherish and to transplant our lives back to Peoria, my hometown, and plant a brand new vineyard church there. So we did return there in the, in the spring of 2011 with a team of 13 adults and 11 children to plant a, a church in three counties that already had 649 churches. And <laughs> we thought, what in the world does the Lord want us to do? But uh, there are still 100,000 people in those three counties that don't know Jesus, and they don't experience the life that you've come to have. And so we're now grateful for the opportunity to be a small part of God's really big thing there. I've known Gino and Shannon for about 12 years now, uh, first as students at the University of Illinois, and then as a young couple in love, and then as a married members of our church family. Um, I've been watching them grow and step into the destiny that God has for them, especially over the last seven years, having planted and grown the South Suburban Vineyard. And I just want you to know, in case you don't already, that you are privileged to be pastored by two of the finest leaders in our movement. Put it up for them, yeah. Um, Their gifts... And their voices in in our movement will help shape the churches of our tribe for decades to come. I'm grateful for that. Thanks to every one of you, too, who calls uh, this church your home. If you serve or you give or you pray, which you should do if this is your home. Um, John Wimber, the founder of the Vineyard Movement, once said, and I quote, Most of us, all of our lives, have been eating from fruit trees that we didn't plant. Somebody had the foresight and was willing to plant and establish these things so later generations would have the benefit. Now, beyond the original launch team, which miraculously is all still here and intact, and for which there is a special blessing reserved in heaven for you, but beyond that, every one of you who now considers this church, you know, your home, You are the pioneers who are planting uh, by investing your lives, planting this orchard that will bear fruit way beyond your years. Uh, You'll impact this area, uh, this, uh, this state, and perhaps the nations for the glory of God. It will far outlive you. And so you are those pioneers that are willing to plant the orchard, this healthy local church that is thriving now will continue to impact generations to come. And so I just, 
I just want to declare in the power of the Holy Spirit that you will be used by God to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a sweet, life-giving perfume, and the influence of this local church will sweep to the north and the south and the east and the west as Jesus wills. 2 Corinthians 2.15 over you. In Jesus' name. Well, we're in the home stretch now of our 21-day season of challenge, aren't we? Now, this, this has been for many a time of leaning into Jesus, accompanied by fasting. That's the taking out of either food or meals or activities or media or shopping or the Internet or other things, as well as a time of engaging. And that's where uh, we, we add in. Uh, things like maybe participation in worship services or uh, Holy Spirit nights, nights of worship, small groups, and giving as we've been challenged. And we're preaching through a series of messages that Geno's titled Rhythms. Now, intrinsically, we all know what rhythm is, that strong, regular, repeated pattern of movement or sound. We do not, however, all have rhythm. (laughs) The word rhythm is believed to come from a Greek word that means flow or stream. And rhythm happens when things happen uh, in a flow of time. Uh, as Gino sh- shared several weeks ago, you, you might think of music or public speaking or life. And when there's a flow, things are good, right? Life is good. Uh, in music, the rhythm section, typically the percussion and the bass, Uh, is the backbone of the band. And much like the rails for a train, the rhythm section provides a steady, seamless track for the rest of the band to run on. And when the rhythm section is flowing, it's grooving, everybody connecting to the music, right? And when there's no flow, we all know that things completely fall apart. And In fact, in performance, musicians call this a train wreck. When, when the rails are bad, uh, man, you're going nowhere with the music. But when there's a flow, when there's a groove, you, you connect. There's life. You flow. Now, in life, humans have a deep connection to rhythm. Rhythm is everywhere, all around us. Uh, breathing, speaking, walking, running, the ocean waves, the the 24-hour sequence of day and night, seven days in one week, the four seasons, all things, lots of things that we do and experience have rhythm. You're no stranger to it. Rhythm is everywhere. In fact, your very first experience of rhythm was your mother's heartbeat. When there's a flow... When there's rhythm, life is good. When there's no flow, when there's no rhythm, it can be difficult and challenging. Now, Jesus expressed his desire for all of his children this way in John's Gospel, the 10th chapter, the 10th verse. Contrasting the two kingdoms, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of light, the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of good, the kingdom of evil, Jesus said, The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy, but my purpose is to give you a rich and satisfying life. That's good, isn't it? It's not the American dream life of popularity and fame and leisure, one that's pain-free, challenge-free, problem-free. It's what you here in SSV call the good life. 
In the Vineyard Church Peoria, we call it the real meaningful life, one that flows, that has rhythm. It flows with love, with with joy, joy that's extraordinary enthusiasm for being alive. It flows with peace, having a radically settled heart despite your difficult people and troubling circumstances. It's one that flows with patience, being deliberate and productive in our waiting It's one that flows with thankfulness, having a profound appreciation for who God is and what he's doing in our lives at the moment. It's described by Jesus in another way in Matthew's gospel from the message translation, Matthew 11, 28. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Well, then come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. You see the rhythm there? Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Now, our deep conviction is that living lightly and freely, the good life, the real meaningful life, is one of sacred rhythms. Now, Gino's already encouraged you to lean into the rhythm of engaging in community and engaging in generosity. And this morning, I'd like to invite you into the sacred rhythm of engaging in God's word and prayer. So let's pray together, will we? God, we just bow our heads and hearts before you on this beautiful morning, start of a brand new week. And we just say thank you for the gifts of life and light, gifts of uh, freedom to worship, gifts of health of mind and soundness of body that enable us to be present here today. Uh, God, we just say thank you. Thank you for this chance to reconnect with our tribe and our, our larger church family. We pray, God, that you'd put power on your word to our lives, not just us here in the auditorium, but right next door in Vineyard Kids where they're learning and growing and the teachers and helpers are shaping those kids for their destiny as well. We welcome you, Holy Spirit, because you promised that wherever we are, there you are. And so we honor you here in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. So now perhaps you have been inspired towards the good life, the the real meaningful life, by the biography of one of the great saints of the church's past. Or perhaps you've been fortunate to have been positively influenced by a God-fearing parent or grandparents, an aunt or an uncle, a sibling, a Sunday school teacher. Maybe it was a pastor or a coach or a teacher, uh, a young life or inner varsity leader at some point in time. Maybe just a good friend or a roommate. Well, like you, I've been very grateful for the influence of these kinds of mentors in my life, people that influenced me my direction, my momentum towards better living, healthier choices, a fewer regrets, and ultimately to Jesus Christ. And I want to suggest to you this morning that if we were to pull back the curtains on the lives of those people that influenced you, we would see almost without exception that there is a sacred rhythm of engaging God in his word and prayer. Now, we know for centuries that people have experienced God in many, many different ways, through communing with him in nature, through art, 
through sacred literature, some in silence or meditation or solitude. Still others connect best with God in acts of service or volunteering or in worship. It could maybe even be when you're watching a movie or reading a book or experiencing the theater. But over the last 2,000 years, Christians have found that the most meaningful, the most powerful, and most consistent ways of experiencing God and building and sustaining an intimate relationship with Jesus have been to connect with him through the Bible and through prayer. The two disciplines of reading and studying the Bible and praying. The people that have influenced you the most towards the good life, the real meaningful life, are men and women whose lives have been shaped largely by the Bible and prayer. And that's, that's right. They had, a, they had a rhythm of connecting with God and experiencing God in word and prayer. And so I'm going to suggest to you this morning that perhaps the Holy Spirit is inviting, say, challenging you in these 21 days to lean into more fully experiencing God by connecting with him in a rhythm of his word and prayer. Now, You might expect in a 21-day challenge that the pastor of your church or his guest speaker replacement would make an urgent appeal for you, the flock, to spend more time reading the Bible, right? I mean, that would maybe be natural. You've probably heard that before. And there is some merit in that approach. I take that approach with my congregation, my flock. But at the end of the challenge or at the end of this year, if all we did was simply read the Bible, uh, you know, be, it, it, because we're fulfilling one of our duties as a Christian, because after all, you know, Christians read the Bible, then all we've really done is, is, has been constrained by religious obligation. I'm going to suggest to you that God has a bigger purpose, in, in, and that is to encounter us in the pages of the book. He wants to meet us there and experience him. He he wants to speak to us in the Bible. He wants to encourage us and convict us and direct us and change us as we meet with him in the Bible. He wants us to have a good life, a real meaningful life, a rich and satisfying life, one that's marked by the rhythm of regularly connecting with him in the pages of the Bible not as an obligation or a religious exercise or an academic study, all of which, you know, have their place, but with an expectation that we're actually going to hear from God and, and be touched and changed by him in the book. I distinctly remember that as a very young boy, I observed my father, who was a lay pastor in the church of our upbringing. He would rise early every morning grab a cup of coffee, and then go sit in his recliner in our family room in his, in his uh, chair. And he would read his well-worn uh, Thompson chain reference King James Version Bible. Uh, that impacted me, seeing that every day. In fact, he and my mother, who are both now 90 years old, Uh, still read through the entire Bible every year using the Bible Pathway Guides. It's amazing. Well, when I fully surrendered my life to Jesus, I was a freshman at the University of Illinois. Remember it well, the night of October 29th, 1974. 
1030 at night, room 413, Babcock Hall, Pennsylvania Avenue Residence Halls. My roommate, a Christian whose, whose witness largely influenced me, was sound asleep. At 1030 at night, I slipped out of my bed and under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, I knelt down and prayed sincerely for the very first time in my life. And I, I said something like this, Jesus, if you're real, I need you come into my life. And at that moment, I experienced what I later learned was the new birth. It felt to me like a thousand tons of guilt and conviction lifted off of my life as I became brand new. I just didn't know what happened at the moment. But, it, but then I became a Bible reader right then, there, that night. I thought, well, this is just what Christians do. We connect with God by reading the Bible. In fact, that Christmas, my dad bought for me, which I still have, my first Schofield, King James, leather-bound Bible I don't read out of this language, this translation anymore, but I treasure this Bible as the first one I ever received. I became a Bible reader. And for most of the last 42 years of following Jesus, I have followed in my parents' footsteps by reading through the entire Bible every year. Now, please understand, I, I don't share that like as I, because I'm some great saint, like the ones in history, nor am I a hero. I'm an average, everyday, work-a-day, get-up-go-to-work Christian, like all of you are. But my experience reflects what both history and the lives of those men and women who have influenced you the most prove that to, to experience the good life, the real meaningful life, you've got to have a rhythm of being in the book. I find it interesting that Christians today will say, well, we just want to be like Jesus. Maybe you've said that. I say it. Can I tell you something? If we want to be like Jesus, if we want to do what Jesus did, then we have to do all that Jesus did. Did you catch that? If we want to do what Jesus did, we got to do all that Jesus did. Now, let me explain that. While we don't see many specific texts in the four Gospels, uh, where Jesus is reported to have been reading or studying the sacred scriptures, we can infer a great deal about his love for and his commitment to the Bible, the scriptures. His mother Mary was a very devout and passionate and God-fearing, sensible uh, and, and, uh, believer. And so from Jesus' early childhood, he would have been taught by his mother the Old Testament scriptures. Uh, there were schools that were connected with the synagogues, and young Jewish boys would have memorized the entire Torah, the first five books of our Bible, uh, by the time that they were bar mitzvahed at age 13. Jesus' life showed that he lived the scriptures with fervency and intensity, used the scripture to resist the temptation of the enemy. Uh, he often quoted uh, large chunks of the Old Testament scripture from memory. You realize that, reading the Gospels, right? Over 78 times, Jesus quoted from memory from the books of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Psalms, Proverbs, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Amos, Jonah, Micah, and Malachi. Jesus loved and lived the Scriptures. They were the source of his life. They were his daily bread where he found great joy, great peace, the ability to persevere. So I'm going to suggest to every one of us today that, that we uh, lean into the 21-day challenge 
by taking the next steps, whatever they might be, for you to develop a sacred rhythm of encountering God in the Bible. Some of you may not know that your pastor, Gino, is one of the best percussionists I know. You may not know that because he underplays, you know, in, in Sunday, on Sundays in this, in this uh, setting, but he's got groove. Gino has groove. I've seen him play a complicated rhythm on the drums, as in jazz or tango, where the time signature can be like 5-4 or 7-8, or he uses triplets or eighth note triplets against a beat of four, where he counts one thing with his left foot and one other thing with his right foot. That guy's got groove. Complicated rhythms. But most of us identify with the simpler rhythms that Alicia and the team will, will lead with us today, 3-4 or 4-4. Four, four. Simpler rhythms. Simple rhythms are powerful, though. They connect with you. And so I'm going to suggest that a simple, sacred rhythm of being in the book is at least four things. A simple, sacred rhythm is practical. I'm going to encourage you to get a, a, an easily readable translation. I'm going to suggest the New Living Translation or the Message, maybe the New International Version, I love the beauty and power of the King James, but we don't talk that way and we don't understand it today. Get a, a Bible you can actually understand. And if you prefer a Bible, paper Bible, get one uh, that you can actually mark in, that you'll not feel guilty about underlining or highlighting, you know, in, all right? So, practical, a rhythm is practical. Secondly, a simple sacred rhythm of being in the book is regular. You eat regularly, don't you? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, we don't find any problem eating regularly. Well, in a similar manner, I'm going to suggest that you be in the book regularly. Being in the book regularly. That means you set a time and a place that works for you. Don't feel like obligated to be like up early in the morning like some of the sacred saints that you admire. But find a time that works for you. And then select a Bible reading plan. And here's why. Because without a plan, you won't sustain reading. Now, it's not a matter of how much of the Bible you read. Please understand. You know, it could be just the New Testament. It could be just the book of Psalms. It could be the, one of the four Gospels. It, it might be the book of Acts. You might even settle on one chapter or one verse or one psalm or proverb a day. There are many many Bible reading plans. You might want to visit thebible.com or download the, the free version on your iPhone or your mobile device called YouVersion, the Bible app. And there are dozens and dozens of plans. Find one that fits you. Now, I happen to recommend the one-year Bible the one-year Bible is a plan that consists of 365 daily readings, a portion of the Old Testament and the New Testament, a portion of a psalm, and a portion of a proverb. And it takes, on an average, about 15 minutes a day. But you could even vary that by just reading the New Testament portion, or just the psalm, or just the proverb. Uh, you can use it on your smartphone, your mobile device, your tablet, your, your computer, or read it in your own Bible. Print the, the, the list of scriptures from the, the website, oneyearbible.org, 
and you can print out the list and use your own Bible, or as I've done, you actually can buy the one-year version available on, uh, from Amazon in hardback for, gosh, only $10, or the Kindle version for 9 This is the one I've been using for the last 16 years. I, I don't have much more room to highlight because almost everything is orange. But what I love about it is I just open up to, to uh, the, the, the day, and the readings are already outlined for me every day. And so rhythms are regular, time, place, plan. Thirdly, a simple sacred rhythm of being in the book is expectant. Expectant. Expect to experience God and the Holy Spirit to speak to you as you read. So last Wednesday night, my wife Tina and I had a rare night off, and so we went to dinner at Donnelly's Pub in Peoria. Uh, We were seated there by our uh, hostess named Carrie, and she gave us the menus. And if you had been in that restaurant, if you'd come to the metropolis of Peoria for the night, and you'd been there, you, you would have thought it rather strange, wouldn't you, if you've seen Tina and I begin to eat the menu? You would have thought, that, that's a little weird. <laughs> What's going on there? That's because the menu is not the meal. The meal came about 10 minutes later, breaded pork tenderloins. I know they're not good for you. They're deep fat fried, but man, they are good once a month. The the meal was great, but the menu is not the meal. The menu describes the meal. A lot of Christians have approached the Bible as the meal, but the Bible points to the meal. The meal is experiencing Jesus, connecting with him. Don't eat the Bible. That's not any good. Eat the meal, which is the experiencing God part coming to Jesus in and, and the pages of the book and, and connecting with him that way. And so we, we read the Bible expectantly, waiting to experience God. Quite simply, one of the easiest ways to understand and approach the Bible in this manner is this way. As we prepare on a regular basis to read a portion of Scripture, you just pause and pray or think, if God were to speak to me today through this passage of the text to either encourage or challenge me, what might he say? And then we, we dive into the text with that question in mind. Rick Warren, pastor of Saddleback Valley uh, Christian Church, uh, Saddleback Church, this recommends that as we read, expect to answer a space pets question. It's an acronym for sin to confess, promise to claim, an attitude to change, a command to obey, example to follow, prayer to pray, error to avoid, truth to believe, something to praise God for. Space pets. Here's how it worked for me. Okay, so just last Friday. No doubt, like me, for you, there, there are days, there are weeks, there are months where we kind of grow weary. In, in leading or serving and working, right? I mean, let's, I'll just, you know, transparently, that's, you know, whether you're a community group leader or working in kids' church or the sound team or the worship team or, you know, in your employment, you're, you know, you're always at the cutting edge or in, in the organizations where you volunteer in the community. You know, at times, uh, you just want, like, somebody else to step up. That's the way I was feeling last Friday. I, I felt depleted. I just wanted somebody else to stand up so I could stay home for a Sunday, <laughs> You know, I just wanted the, uh, the Holy Spirit to let me off the hook. I was griping and complaining, really. 
And, uh, and so then in our one year, uh, but I, I do what I did every morning, regular, consistent. I grab my cup of coffee that's already made at 530. I, I drag my weary butt back into my study, and I open up the Bible and pray the prayer that I just taught you to pray. And I, in our daily Bible reading, the New Testament portion, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 to 28, where the Apostle Paul reluctantly affirms his calling by detailing the incredible struggles he went through. And I read that morning, oh, I faced death time and again, 39 lashes, three times beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times shipwrecked, spent a whole night adrift at sea. I traveled in many long journeys, faced danger from rivers and robbers, faced danger from my own people, danger in the cities, danger in the deserts and the seas. I faced danger from men who claimed to be believers but aren't. I've worked hard and long, many sleepless nights, been hungry, thirsty, gone without food, shivered in the cold, enough clothes. I get it, Lord! I felt the Holy Spirit's rebuke of my crappy attitude. It's like the Lord was saying, you know, Ben, your problems don't compare. They don't stack up. And it's like he said, I got you. I got what's going on now, and I got what's ahead. You can trust me. And so right then, I experienced the Holy Spirit's presence. Jesus encountered me with an attitude to change and sins to confess. And I'll tell you what, when that time with the Lord was over, I experienced a bigger portion of the good life, the real meaningful life. I was a lot better person coming out of that time than I was going in. That's how it works for me. Fourthly, a simple, sacred rhythm of being in the book is realistic. The Bible's a complex and difficult book. There's no table of contents for quick and easy answers, and God wrote it that way. You know, he could have written it as a first-grade primer or a theological uh, uh, encyclopedia, but he didn't. He, he, he wrote it in such a way that we actually have to trust him. But what that means is, you know, if it's realistic, that we've got to acknowledge that there's going to be parts that are hard to understand, that just don't make sense right away, uh, that, that maybe are, they're even boring, uh, or, or that, you know, will make you mad. Some of the stories make you mad. But, you know, it's kind of like dinner. Some meals, you know, you're, you're eating leftovers, they're not too great, you're eating on the run, you're eating fast food, and you know you shouldn't, you're eating a bread of tenderloin, you know you shouldn't do that. Uh, you know, some of those meals just aren't great. Some, though, are well-planned, well-thought, well-prepared, beautifully presented. And then there's another class of meals where on a special occasion and a special location, like, you're going to remember that thing for the rest of your life, right? But not all meals are like that. But here's the key. All the meals are necessary to sustain you. They're all necessary. And so some days of connecting with God in the, in the Bible are just a lesson in patience and endurance. It's slugging it out. Right now in the Old Testament, reading through Isaiah, I'm thinking, what the heck is he talking about? You know, Ezekiel, Leviticus, those are just challenging books. You got to plow through it. They raise questions. I'm thinking like, really? I don't get that. I don't understand it. And some of those days, they're, they're just like, you know, forgettable. But they're necessary, just like all those meals are. But then there's other days that are absolutely unforgettable. 
Last Friday, one of those days for me. Maybe you've had them. Uh, you know, where you, you receive a, a deposit of God's goodness and grace. You get touched. You get healed. You receive a prophetic encouragement, a promise over your life. Uh, it comes to pass. Uh, lots of powerful things can happen. Meaningful, memorable, life-changing. So a few years ago, I took my, my two oldest boys, my two boys, Casey and Philip. Uh, to Summit County, Colorado, to, to ski for four days. And we stayed at Rivendell. It's a little cabin uh, in Silverthorne that's owned by my mother's, mother-in-law's relatives, so we could stay for free, because I'm cheap. Uh, we, <laughs> frugal, frugal, that's a better word. We, we, we skied hard that very first day at Keystone. We enjoyed cooking our steaks at a local bar uh, over the, the fire pit. And uh, we spent the evening talking around the, camp, the fire, fireplace. And then, despite my exhaustion, sleep is fitful because you're not accustomed to the altitude. But I decided to get up and keep my tradition going every morning. So I got up long before the boys were awake, brewed some coffee to do my daily Bible reading and journaling. And that morning, I read from Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, while reflecting on the difficulty of my current life circumstances and grumbling and complaining. That seems like a theme. You'd think I'd learn that, right? <laughs> um, and I... Um, I looked out, and the early gray light of the dawn was, was breaking over the snow-covered Buffalo Mountain in the background, and it was framed by the frost on the sliding glass doors looking out over, over the, the vista. And at that moment, I could feel the Holy Spirit's presence come into the room. You know what that's like. You know he's here. Now, he's always here, but like he was really there in a manifest way. And I experienced in that moment God as big and awesome and transcendent and beautiful and powerful, all at the same time as loving and intimate and very close, all mixed together as I sat there in the beauty of that moment. And I read Proverbs 3 where the God says, trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. He's the one who will keep you on track. Don't assume you know it all. Run to God. And at that moment, my life was touched. I was encouraged. I experienced more of the real meaningful life, the good life, than I could possibly imagine. Man, the rest of that trip was candy, you know. Lean into the sacred rhythm of being in the book in ways that are practical, regular, realistic, and expectant. Now, the good life, the the real meaningful life, is also one that's marked by a sacred rhythm of connecting with Jesus through prayer. You might be thinking right now, gosh, he's only halfway through. the, The speed picks up, so just hang with me, okay? Now, I know that no discipline is generally as dreaded as prayer. That's an exception for a few of you, but for the largest majority, we know we're supposed to pray. We've read the historic examples of men and women whose, whose lives have been marked by prayer, Smith Wigglesworth, Hudson Taylor, Reese Howells. And, and when we read those stories, we're filled with awe, and we kind of shrink in, in the light of their example. We want to pray. We want to be more effective at prayer. Uh, but maybe we've not received appreciable benefit in prayer, or we're still waiting on prayers that we've prayed to be answered. Often we feel guilty. Um, often we don't know what to do or what to say. Our mind wanders. Uh, we, we start in with good intent, and the next thing you know, we're making our to-do list or things that would have to happen at work that day or things managing with the kids or, or our vacation plans or whatever. 
We're all kind of like, like that. We're not unlike the apostles. You know, they hung around Jesus. They saw that he modeled an intimate and powerful relationship with God that was shaped and informed by prayer. You know, they saw there were times when Jesus prayed all night. He got up early in the morning and went out to the wilderness to pray. He would withdraw from public ministry to pray. Uh, They'd seen Jesus, Jesus pray regularly at different times in the synagogue on special occasions. They'd seen him pray in different ways, looking up to heaven with arms outstretched, head bowed. Uh, sometimes they'd seen him pray when ministering to others, and those prayers were often marked by, by being very short. Stand up, be healed, come out, stretch out, you know, and those things worked. Those prayers worked. And so like the, like the apostles, uh, you know, we've, we've kind of imagined like, wow, what, how did he do that? Like, how, no doubt they kind of wondered the same thing, right? They've wondered, uh, how does he do that kind of stuff? And so they came to him on one occasion, and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Luke 11, 1. Perhaps the Holy Spirit is stirring in your heart that prayer. Lord, teach me to pray in this 21-day challenge. Now, hear me out. I'm all for praying the prayer of Jabez. I'm all for praying the prayers of the Apostle Paul from Romans and Ephesians. I'm all for praying the hours the or from the, the Scottish book of, of prayer. Uh, I'm all for those kind of prayers. But I think it would be wise for us to start by praying the prayer of Jesus, don't you think? The prayer of Jesus is this. In Matthew 6, he said, pray this way. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive our sins as we've forgiven those who sin against us. Don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. And then several manuscripts add, for yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. We call it the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father. Most of you have probably prayed this prayer, perhaps at a wedding or a funeral or in the church of your upbringing. Many of us can quote this prayer uh, from memory, depending on the translation of the Bible. I think there's great merit in praying the prayer outright as a prayer. Jesus said, pray like this. And so you're in good company when you pray like that, and you just pray the prayer as we now prayed it or spoke it. But I also think it's helpful to notice that the prayer contains five sections, five phrases, five petitions or themes with one concluding praise. And I encourage you to pray this prayer like an accordion. Each of those sections can expand or contract as you have time. You might spend one minute or two minutes or five or ten minutes on each of those five sections. Now, we've often complicated prayer. Let me help make it simple. Prayer is simply directing your thoughts and your words to God. That's it. You don't need to wear special clothes. You don't need to be having a, have a special posture. You don't need uh, any special worship music or candles or incense or mood lighting in the room. If, if that's helpful, go for it. It's not necessary. We just direct our thoughts and our words to God. And I've been praying this way for 42 years. That's why I saw my mom and dad do. I thought, well, this is what Jesus said, so we're just going to go for it. And there are, there are five sections. Identity, our Father in heaven. 
kingdom, asking for God's kingdom to come in all the ways he knows we need. Thirdly, provision, give us each day what we need. Fourthly, relationships, deal with my sin, Lord, as I forgive those who have sinned against me. And then protection, Lord, don't let me go or or it's bad for me. Lead, Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. And then, of course, it concludes with praise. Now, I've, I've appreciated one of the mentors in my life, Mike Bickle, who's the, the leader of the International House of Prayer in Kansas City. Mike's been an intercessor for over 35 years, and he says that in order to pray effectively, we simply need three things, and I think this is powerful. One, you got to use a prayer list. Write down the things or the people that you're praying for in each of these five categories. So, what I've done is I've, I've taken the liberty of actually making a prayer list. Let's see what I do with it. Um, yeah, on the back table on your way out today is, is just a, a list that I've compiled called the Lord's Prayer Guide. And it can give you some simple demarcations in each of those five areas uh, on, on things to pray for uh, in terms of um, your identity, the kingdom coming, provision, relationships, protection, and praise. And then you can write in on here the, the specific people and situations in, you know, in your life, in your uh, relationships, in your work, in your places of, of influence uh, on how you want the kingdom to come. And if it's helpful, uh, use that, but use a, a list. Secondly, schedule a time. If you don't schedule a time, prayer is not going to happen. Hey, I'm all for praying on the go, in the car, on the way to work, in the shower, while mowing your grass. Those are all great times to pray. But unless you don't schedule a time, you won't pray. You won't pray with focus. So you got you to gotta use a list. You got to schedule a time. Here, here's a secret. 99% of you who actually do those two things, make a list and schedule a time, your prayer life will increase dramatically. Two simple things. Using a list, scheduling a time. And then thirdly, have a right paradigm of God. You know, God is eager to hear us. He wants to answer our prayer. He's gentle with our weakness. He loves the conversation. He's a good, good father. We don't have to negotiate with him, bargain with him. You know, uh, a lot of times we're like that. God, if you do this, then I'll do that. You know, uh, rarely, like, does he take you up on the deal? And besides that, when we often make those kind of deals, we don't follow through on our end anyway, do we? No. But he's not going to bless us without asking. He respects the partnership that he's designed. He honors the division of labor. It's like this. There's a pastor who visited one of the farmers in his, his flock. He, he went to the, the farm, you know, and drove in on the, on the nice winding lane with the nice mowed uh, edges and the corn rows and the beautiful orchard in the background, the house and the fence all painted nice. And, and the pastor says, gosh, you know, God's really blessed you, hasn't he? And the and the farmer said to the pastor, bless me. God didn't do this. He said, I did this. When God had this farm, it was a mess. <laughs> God won't plant the seeds and pull the weeds or mow the grass or paint the fence. He said, now he'll provide the sun and the rain and the strength and the resources. But, but he said, I got to do all the rest. You see, we're like the farmer. God wants to honor the partnership. He's told us, Pray like this, but he won't do the praying. That's our job. We do the praying. And so start right where you are. Here it is. No guilt, no shame on anyone here today. But wherever you're at, ask the Holy Spirit to to enable you to lean into the challenge. 
Okay, here, here it is. If you do not pray, or you pray very irregularly, then ask the Holy Spirit to help you start by praying a minute a day, or five days out of the week, or three days. Start. Set a goal. If you pray one day a week, then let's add, add one to pray two. If you pray one minute, ask the Holy Spirit for grace to pray two. If you pray five, ask him for grace to pray ten. If you, if you pray now 30 minutes a day, ask him for grace to pray an hour. You see what I'm saying? No guilt or shame for where you are, but don't stay where you are. Respond to God's invitation. Thankfully, God's a speaking God and enabling God, and he will bless you and enable you. So, friends, Jesus wants you to have a good life. He wants you to have a real meaningful life, a rich and satisfying life, one that is marked by a sacred rhythm of connecting with him in his word and in prayer. And as you do, you can fully expect to be touched by him, to be changed by him, to grow more fully into the woman or the man, the child of God that he's destined you to become. And when we're in this rhythm, based on the authority of God's promises in the word, I can guarantee you, you will be more filled with joy, with hope, with peace, with patience and thankfulness than you've ever imagined. We'll make better choices, we'll live with fewer regrets, and we'll grow to become better human beings because that's God's purpose for you. And if you're unsure, I challenge you to do it for the next 30 days and report back. All right, God, we just say thank you for who you are and the challenges that you've given, the invitation that you've given to this church family, Lord. And I pray for grace that we could all lean into your invitation, God, to engage in this sacred rhythm. Put power on your word, Lord, now to our lives and, Lord, to, uh, to this um, uh, challenge that we've been issued by you. It's in your precious and powerful name we pray. Amen.